0: This is a faithful saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. That's the message we heard this morning, wonderful word of God, gospel preaching with confidence and heard so that we believe and were led along the way into the joy of the Holy Ghost, the things of the kingdom of heaven. This is what Christmas is all about. And as we heard this morning, the goal of the sermon this morning was not to dampen our celebration, but to deepen it. I would, this evening, begin a series of sermons to broaden our appreciation of Christmas and of the whole prophecy of the Bible, which is, culminates in this birth of the Savior And we would do this because the Bible itself lends itself to be a sort of advent series in the Old Testament of things that were being said before Jesus came in anticipation of when he would come. And so you have prophets prophesying in Isaiah's prophecies, for example, the servant prophecies of Isaiah of Jesus who would come, the elect child of God, the Savior. We have Ezekiel and Daniel, Zechariah and Malachi and all of the prophets, and we would consider now what might be a most unlikely candidate to be a prophet, and indeed, that's Balaam. Balaam is one who was nefarious, meaning known for his wickedness, a terrible person, reprobate, ungodly through and through. Balaam was a magician, a soothsayer from somewhere near the Euphrates River, but certainly from somewhere near hell. We would consider this because God was even able to use Balaam and an ass and other things to work so that Balaam would speak the truth about Christmas. It is remarkable that there are prophecies coming out of that hellion's mouth that uh, are the truth and are glory to God and are so accurate that they indeed come to pass when Jesus is born and when he is crucified for our sins and risen for our justification. So we want to consider to broaden our appreciation of the incarnate Savior And so that the birthday celebration by us continues all year long, we want to consider the prophecy of Balaam under the theme Balaam and Christmas. And for this, let's turn to that one of the several passages of the Bible, and hear this recording the history of Balaam and Balak, Numbers chapter 22. Numbers 22. We'll read the word of God in this. Introduction to the history of Israel that's gathered just on the other side of the Jordan River, outside of Jericho, ready to take the promised land. The second generation, after 40 some years in the wilderness, is now ready to take the land, but there's an obstacle. And of this obstacle, Israel's not even aware, apparently. The obstacle is a cursing magician and a wicked king who's trembling in his boots, Balak, because Israel is a formidable foe. And so Numbers 22, we'll read the first 12 verses is all, because I want us just to, to deal broadly with this whole thing that's going on here at first. We'll deal in the next sermon with the prophecies of Balaam, and finally then we'll deal with what Balaam does to Israel, to get her to sin when his uh, cursing is of no avail. So Numbers 22, the word of God, verse 1. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people, "'because they were many, and Moab was sick with dread "'because of the children of Israel. "'So Moab said to the elders of Midian, "'Now this company will lick up everything around us, "'as an ox licks up the grass of the field. "'And Balak the son of Zippor was king of the Moabites "'at that time. "'Then he sent messengers to Balaam, "'the son of Beor at Pithor, which is near the river.' And that reference to river is used in the Bible almost every time to the Euphrates River in the, in the land of Mesopotamia, near somewhere near the Garden of Eden. So that's where Balaam was significant. Also is that this is not far from the land of Abraham and Haran and Ur of the Chaldees and so on, where, so there might have been some familiarity with Abraham's God already back then, but there's Balaam. He was in the land of the sons of his people, and they came to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian, and this is at the request of Balak the king, they departed with the diviner's fee in their hand. And they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them away, or drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them, you shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. That's as far as we're going to read. What follows there is uh, Balaam's finally going to the people and uh, various exploits, and, and along the way he meets with a donkey, talks to him. What we want to focus on tonight is the, really the center of this whole business here of Balaam and Balak and God and Israel. The center is the identity of the people of God, as the blessed of God. And so what I want to do for my theme of this sermon is to just choose from the last part of verse 12, they are blessed. The reason why uh, Balaam may not curse Israel is said expressly here by God, they, Israel, are blessed. Blessed want to consider this blessing. This is the outstanding feature of this whole narrative here. It is the reason they cannot be cursed. It is the reason they shall enter into the land. Exactly because the people of God are blessed from heaven, theirs is a spiritual blessedness than which there's no comparison to any other earthly blessedness or peace. Blessed from heaven. However, at this time, there's a challenge from hell. Balak and Balaam representing hell and all Hellians. It is as well something that is going on today. And finally, we consider, and you can anticipate, what's going to come to pass out of this, this fateful meeting of Balaam, Balak, God, and Israel. They are blessed. Blessed. Israel is blessed. Some 2 million, maybe 3 million strong at this time of the second generation of those who have come out of Egypt because of the mighty hand of God redeeming them. They, Israel, is blessed. And they are not blessed, however, because of any worthiness of themselves. They have proven themselves all along the way since the Exodus, and we dealt with that in a series of sermons about six months ago. They have shown themselves to be very sinful. They've complained just about every step of the way. The Bible lists some ten times that they complained to God, and that's just Uh, a summary of all the times they complained. What did they complain about? They complained that God wasn't providing for them enough. Then when he provided manna, they complained about the manna, that bread from heaven, too boring. Why one meal all the time? Why Christ and him only? Go figure. They complained about the water, even though God provided them water from a rock. They complained about the heat, I suppose. They complained about Moses and Aaron and their authority. And several times as well, they said, why don't we just go back to Egypt? Would that, we would be led back to Egypt. You brought us here, Moses and Aaron, and Moses and Aaron's God, simply to perish. So Israel shows itself a very sinful people. And not long prior to this, when God gave them victory over enemies, great enemies, formidable host of enemies, Og and Sihon. Not long before this, they would complained in the wilderness once again about the fact that there was no water and that we should go back to Egypt and so on, and we like the garlics and the onions and the leeks there. And God had sent fiery serpents upon them. And only spared them because he was a very long-suffering God to them. And then they complain once again in a prior chapter to our, our text here about Moses and Aaron not providing them water. And God then um, tells Moses to speak to the rock and he strikes it. And you know the story. He's forbidden to enter the land because of his, his loss of temper so all of these ways show this people is certainly not worthy to be blessed. God says they are blessed, though, and so they are. And it's striking that he's speaking of them all as a whole. Indeed, it's not the case that everyone in Israel was a child of God and truly blessed of him. But they as a whole to whom promises were made, and to whom God pledged himself, were his people. And so they were blessed. To be blessed of God is what the Bible is all about. The Bible reveals in this book, from Genesis to Revelation, not just when Bethlehem comes around, but from Genesis to Revelation, one word, that there's a God who blesses. And that there be a God who blesses is that there be a God who speaks a word. And it's striking how blessing is linked to the word of God. And Balaam recognizes that. God tells him that. What I have spoken, I have spoken. And Balaam will say repeatedly to Balak, what God has said, I cannot undo. And if he said they're blessed, they are blessed. You can't undo that word of God. This is not the law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be broken. This is the very character of God that cannot be denied. When he speaks a word, the word comes to pass and it accomplishes what he purposes, says the prophet Isaiah. So this is a word of blessing here. They are blessed. And they're blessed, and this is the word that God has always spoken to His people. He cannot curse, can Balaam, the people, because they are blessed of God, that people. That's God's word with regard to them. His favor towards them. What he says, even in the midst of sin, and even though Israel has done much to prove themselves unworthy of blessing... It's what God says anyway. I love you. I bless you. You're mine. And I will enrich you with my own presence and with a thousand blessings besides. In fact, when the Bible reflects upon this history of Balaam and of uh, Balak, it often is referring to this in such a great way as God loving the people to bless them. So, for example, in Deuteronomy 23, an Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pithor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. Deuteronomy 23 and verse 5. The root of God blessing Israel was his love. At other times, Balaam himself will be compelled to prophesy that the reason God blesses a people and speaks this word of blessing, commands blessing to them, is because it pleases God. It pleased God to love them and to bless them. References to the decree of God God is very particular. He's this God who has a special people of all the people of the world. They, he says, are blessed. Balaam, you've chosen the wrong persons to curse, and Balak has chosen the wrong curse persons to curse of all the people of the earth worthy of curse, because these are mine, they're not yours. They're not sons of Salem or sons of Satan. They're sons of God. They're not the people simply that's fallen in Adam. These are the people of my good pleasure, of my electing decree, of my love. In fact, the whole world was created for this people because this whole world was created for the Christ to come into this world and save this people. This people About to enter the promised land, this people, God's people, were blessed forever. The whole world and all of providence is guided by the fact that God would bless and continue blessing his people. So you have it. And God has done that. Repeatedly, this people also, which is blessed, is, is alluded to as the people who are the people of Abraham. So that there's an allusion to Genesis 12 and when God came to Abraham and said that in you all nations will be blessed and those whom you bless I will bless and those whom you curse I will curse and so on. And those who bless you will be blessed and those who curse you will be cursed. Well, Balak alludes to that and Balaam alludes to that in his prophecies here. There's a problem, you see, that Balaam is having with God in being called by an earthly king to bless what, or to curse what God has blessed. The problem is, he's going against the decree of God, the good pleasure of God, the love of God, and the promise of God, the covenant promise of God to be the God of this seed of Abraham. And God has shown his blessing to this people, the seed of Abraham, calling them out of Egypt. Fulfilling the promise that God had spoken to Abraham in Genesis 15. After 430 years, I'm going to call them out of Egypt to be my own in this land of promise, Israel. And God, in his long suffering and his care, given the people manna. He blessed the people with provision. The soles of their shoes, children, didn't wear out for 40 years. They were plenty able to do the things they needed to do in the wilderness. God was near to them, guiding them with the Shekinah glory, light and fire by night and cloud by day. And they had nothing wanting, nothing wanting. You wonder what they did in the wilderness. Were they bored? And I say to you, beloved, how can you be bored with the presence of God? They were blessed. To be blessed is to be happy. To be blessed is to be forgiven. To be blessed is to be sanctified. To be blessed is to be right at the border of the promised land after all these years. To be blessed is to know the grace and pity of God because, of course, these people don't deserve it. To be blessed is to be blessed with basically a righteousness that isn't theirs And yet that's somehow imputed to them and regarded as them. They're regarded as righteous. That's that's an outstanding feature of this blessing of the people in this context, too. The prophet Micah was given by God to reflect upon this incident of Balaam and Balak and the people of God in chapter 6. I'll read that, verse 3 and following. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt. He's referring back to the Exodus. I redeemed you from the house of bondage, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Acacia Grove to Gilgal. And that is that he could not curse whom God had blessed. That's what Balaam answered him. Remember that, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. That's the one thing that the Israelites were to remember from this whole episode. No cursing but blessing, and it's all about a righteousness that God regards them as a state of innocence before God. Here they are, full of complaining. And God says, you're my people, I love you. And I behold, as Balaam will later say, no iniquity in you. I don't see anything perverse about you. You're mine. Righteousness. And it's all, of course, about Jesus. Jesus, as we'll bring out in the consideration of the prophecies of Balaam, and there are four of them, oracles of Balaam they're called, Jesus is front and center. But Jesus meets us at every, every turn in this whole prophecy, even before the oracles, when, for example, the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and guarding with the sword the way so that Balaam could not force a curse upon the Israelites. Oh, And the angel of the Lord, we know that messenger of the covenant is par excellence, Jesus. You have even before Bethlehem, Jesus' children, in the angel of the Lord, not in human flesh, but in angelic form, this great one, this son of God, this son of heaven, this son of man, standing in the way of anyone who who would curse the people whom God has blessed. Amazing. And then here's the one in the prophecy who's the star that rises out of Jacob, who's the scepter that comes out of Israel. He's the king who conquers all of the enemies of God as we shall see. But this is Jesus. And as we heard this morning, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Now this all is challenged. This fact and even though Balaam is told this by God, God said to him, you shall not go with those representatives of wicked King Balak. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed, even though God says that. Balaam is a hellion. And he will not take no for an answer. He will not take God's no for an answer. So he tries to get around it. He tries to deny the truth. And he thinks somehow he's going to be prospered in his way as he has been in the past and has gained a reputation for. Balaam's a cursor. It's a peculiar thing what Balaam is known for, cursing. Just a bit about that. In those days, and probably today, in Near Eastern, Far Eastern, whatever countries there are, maybe in the West too, there's people who believe in demonic powers and that they can somehow call upon demonic powers to predict the future, command blessings somewhere, or command cursing. So if you don't like enemies, you don't have people at, at work and so on, you can hire some soothsayer. Some conjurer of wicked spirits and so on. This is how the theory goes, and they'll maybe put a pin in a doll representing your boss, and that boss will have a backache the next day. It's strange what people do, but it's also evil. And I'm not going to say here, even from this pulpit, there are not that there are not demonic forces that are able to work even in certain ways among people in this earth, that is, in physical ways as well, and that there are not demonic persons, soothsayers and diviners, who have some kind of conduct with with the powers of hell, who themselves are conduits or uh, avenues for evil. You just think of all the people who were possessed of devils at the time of Jesus, And Jesus himself says at the end of time, it's going to be similar to that. And I believe wherever the word of God is faithfully preached, and wherever God has given new revelation, there the devils come out. This is exactly what's happening here at the side of the Jordan River when God's people are about to enter the promised land. One last effort of Satan himself to keep the people out, and to curse them. That's what's going on here. Balak, king of Moab, calling the elders of Midian together, represents, I believe, all of the wicked kings who are against the people of God and against God. That's who they're against. They're afraid Of those people, they are afraid of God. They do not want the power of God manifest anywhere. And so Balak, the king, feeling at a loss in that he cannot possibly defeat this people Israel that has just defeated Og, king of Basham, and Zion, king of the Amorites, notable kings and armies, he's thinking, He doesn't have a chance. And so what they did in those days is they fought either by cannon, some force, or they fought fought by conniving and cursing. They would somehow seek to undermine the power of an enemy by calling upon their gods and those who were mediators between themselves and their gods That somehow there would be a crippling of the enemy in the prayers and incantations and conjurings and sacrifices, which are mentioned several times in the meeting of Balak and Balaam, to somehow hamstring the people of God so that then they could be able to overpower them and drive them out. This is exactly what Balak says. Verse 10. Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me to you, saying, look, a people's come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them. This is what Balak is saying. Curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. So the idea is, Balak somehow dances around a fire and calls down, or calls up from hell powers and devils and locusts and whatever, And somehow they weaken the morale of the people of God. They weaken the bodies of the people of God. They weaken them together. They weaken them individually. They weaken their their soldiers and their mighty men. And they take the wind out of their sails and they say they put fear in their hearts. And if this can only happen, if they can be so cursed and so shaken in their boots and so thinking not any more that they are the people of God, because that's what a curse is, then we have them. This is Balaam. Balaam is a madman, in fact. That's how Peter describes him. Here's another reference. Second Peter. I'll show you that. Second Peter 2 and verse 15, I think. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, speaking of all these natural brute beasts and evil people, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. Look at that. There's a whole list of people who cannot cease from sin and entice unstable souls, have a heart trained in covetous practices, and are accursed children. They're cursed. They've forsaken the right way, God's way, and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. And his way is described this way, 2 Peter 2, 15, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. The man was insane. But look what he does, this hypocrite. He pretends to know God. Something about that. He pretends to Balak, he pretends to himself, I know God. Me and God, we have a good relationship. Calls him God and even calls him my God. I could not go beyond the word of the Lord, my God, he says to Balak, verse 18, to do less or more. He's pretending, of course. He doesn't really know and God certainly doesn't know and love him. This is a madman. He's toying with God. He's seeking to manipulate God. He's he's just going along the edge here and, and seeing if he can surely do something that not only would cause him to be honorable, but wealthy. That's what Peter says it all comes down to. He loved the wages of unrighteousness, the diviner's fee kings and other princes and leaders of country would pay fees to these mad prophets, especially to a prophet like this who claimed not only to know God, but probably other gods, who was in cahoots with all of the the gods of Mount Olympus and, and whatever, Mount Sinai too. Somehow, perhaps, they could call down curses upon people, upon nations. Not really, of course. Ultimately, God's the one who curses sinners and blesses, and blessing and cursing is not in the power of anyone to do, except God might for a time and to a degree give a person over in his pretense at being God, the blesser and the curser, to show who's really in charge. Again, I don't doubt that Jesus himself gave power to Judas to do miracles. And devils themselves have these powers over nations and and over particular cities and countries and so on for evil. This whole thing, however, is a challenge that's very, very typical in the Old Testament here of exactly what Satan does. He wants the people of God to be cursed. And Balak represents the kings of the nations who defy God, take counsel together among themselves against the Lord and against his anointed, Psalm 2. Teaming up with a magician, a soothsayer, a religious component to their kingdom. Sounds an awful lot like the beast of Revelation 13, doesn't it? Who rises up out of the Sea of Nations, the political empire, and who rises up from the land, and he looks like a lamb. He looks like he has something that's, that's good and, and of a, another kingdom than an earthly kingdom, something that's going to prevent this people, Israel, from dominating You just have to wonder at that time the reputation of this people of God. It's been a long history for Israel, a long history of persecution because of their God. Israel, Old Testament, people of God, faced Opposition at every turn. They were as good as dead in Egypt. God called them and said, Live while she's lying dead in her slavery. He calls her up and calls her out and leads her out. And only by the blood of the lamb that was slain, the Passover land, can she be let out. And here, right at the brink of entering the promised land, Before she gets to heaven, she's confronted. And let's not overlook the the seriousness of that challenge. Of course, God is saying here, they are blessed. Let's remember that. And they shall be blessed. But there's a challenge. A challenge from hell. And if we would not make light even of the cross itself, which we would say, yes, is our salvation, let's not forget that the cross was the greatest work of the devil himself. The, what he thought was this amazing work, but it was the most wicked deed ever. And here, what's happening is, if this devil with his king at his side and and with the money that they have and with the power that they think they can have even over the people of God and over God himself if they get their way there will be no people of God anymore there will be no Christ who comes from the loins of these sons of God there will be no christmas it's a challenge right here. The Bible doesn't play games when it presents, obviously, Balaam, who's a fool, even a madman, with Balak, who's powerless in himself, as up against a, a wall when they seek to curse what God has blessed. The Bible presents it much more poignantly, realistically, Speaking of sovereignty and who's in control, nevertheless, there's a real conflict here. There's a real problem for Israel. They must face this. Even though they're apparently oblivious as to what's going on, the forces of of Satan are at work and to say, we're going to curse what God has blessed. And that's the same thing today. You think, for example, just those three words, they are blessed. That's my text. They are blessed. Today, Satan doesn't even want the children of God to know who they are who are blessed. If there's talk of blessing, it's a talk of everybody being blessed or ought to be blessed or as if it's a right for everybody in the world of equal opportunity, that's blessing, and we can do what we want, whatever. There's no concept of the Israel of God, the church of Christ. Or people will imagine, especially in our light, and I don't know if you've been listening, tuning an ear to the media, that things are turning up The heat is turning up in the Middle East. We might be taken into another world uh, world war. Who knows? But it's all about the blessing of Israel. Or so what people think. And people are seeking to curse Israel. Isn't that strange? Because everybody's missing the point. I believe. Because this Israel is one thing. But this Israel, the Jews, the sons, the physical sons of Abraham, represent the true people of God and are no longer the true people of God. The Bible in the New Testament says they rejected the Christ. And since 70 A.D., when God himself destroyed the nation of Israel's capital and temple... They are not the sons of God. They are not the ones who have the right to this land or that land. Nobody does. Nobody can claim holy status. But God is called a church. And so this whole ranting and raving about Israel and so on, and terrible things that are going on there, It's not about who's the holy people of God and who's not. They're all unholy who are not believers in Jesus and not justified by his blood. Missing the point, missing the identity of the people of God. In one sense, they they expand it, Everybody's blessed, everybody else. Or they narrow it and say the Jews, those especially, are blessed. And a lot of evangelicals, they they just have it wrong. It's sad to say that. There has been the kind of curse of the devil and the curses of ignorance, of sound theology of the unity of the Old and New Testament, the development of doctrine. Here, this people is truly the people of God, but representative of another people now that's called from all the nations and is called to believe in distinction from the Jews who don't believe in Messiah. They still reject Messiah. And they would crucify him again if he came again. Though I imagine the devil has people now so much calling for peace and so on, that crucifixion would be considered too dastardly, I suppose, or too crude. We can ourselves forget that we are being challenged truly to believe whether or not we are blessed. We are that people now, beloved. Do you know that This morning, we were all challenged to know the meaning of Christ who came in the world to save sinners by taking that personally and taking on our lips the faithful saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, including me, and I am chief. Israel here threatened in cursing by a monster from hell, and a monstrous antichrist foreshadowing kingdom. They're a picture of the church. And at every, every step and even in our deathbed, as we're about to go over the Jordan into heaven, the devil would say to us, Ah, but you are not a child of God. You have sin, and look what you've done in your life. And just look, even now, your faith is far from perfect. And He'd want us simply to fade away and die, and not to believe in blessing, or that, after all, we're cursed. It's too much. My sin is too much. God can't take care of that. I must be cursed. Anyone here thinking like that? Here's what God says. They are blessed. Here's what God says personally. You are blessed you believe in god yes you pray lord i believe help thou my unbelief good you recognize the small beginning of the new obedience even though you're second third fourth generation christian and reformed and whatever else you think is the right theology though it is The Reformed, Presbyterian, creedal truth that God has led us into. God saves sinners. That's the faith. Well, beloved, then you know that Christmas has come. That's my final point. Balaam didn't win here, did he? We're looking ahead. Oh, he thought to. Later on, we're going to read... He wasn't able to curse them, but he was able to perverse them. He tempted them to marry the Midianite and Moabite women and then to worship their gods. He wasn't able to curse them, but he was able to perverse them, to consider their weakness. And to capitalize on it. Well, beloved, even though that was the case, and even though it's the case with us, we're not able to be cursed, but we are able to be perversed. Christmas has come. This is the proof that we are blessed. Christmas has come. The star of Jacob shines, and the scepter is what he wields on the throne of heaven, having died for our sins and risen for our justification, so that the shout of a king is among us. And we here declare today we are blessed. We are blessed, and it's true. Jesus is come, he's born. He walks the earth doing miracles and he speaks so wisely the wisdom of God and he lays down his life for you and for me and he came into this world because he would glorify God, the God of grace and now it comes to pass that Christmas has come in our hearts and we are his and we are blessed. So beloved, Israel... The plains of Moab, about to enter in, they're seemingly oblivious of this terrible battle that's going on between devils and magicians and kings and God himself. We know the battle, we know the victory. That's what I want to know. That's how I know God's going to be with me to the end. You too? Congregation. You are blessed. God is praised here. Amen. We pray, Father, that you would bless us continually as we hear and reflect upon the word and its echoes. God, we pray that you would truly be near because we experience such temptation. And it seems like the well goes dry, and our spirituality goes dry. And that can happen as a church, as families, as souls. We don't appreciate your blessing enough, Lord. We're sorry. If, Father, help us to take to heart what you say, which prevents all cursing, you are blessed. I love you. I say this in my word, the Son of God. Believe. Lord, dismiss us with your favor and with the word of blessing on our lips. The new song of the Lamb. Amen.